Last week, I said we were celebrating Xing the X waiver. Today, we're grieving for the loss. The Biden administration has placed a freeze on all recent regulatory changes, including the ones related to the practice guidelines for buprenorphine, or what we call the X waiver. The X waiver is a barrier that prevents physicians from prescribing potentially life-saving medication to treat opiate use disorder. While 1 million doctors can prescribe opioids, only 66,000 can prescribe medications for opiate use disorder. Doctors all over the world are learning how to treat COVID during this pandemic as the recommendations change on a daily basis. On the other hand, doctors are restricted from treating opiate use disorder without a government-regulated eight-hour course. While we are on an emotional roller coaster regarding the X waiver, elated last week, depressed this week, we do have hope. We hope our new administration moves quickly in their evaluation and removes even more restrictions for treatment of opiate use disorder. And we have hope that Congress passes the MAT Act legislation that can remove the X waiver addiction treatment barrier. Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. Friends, fentanyl is killing over 30,000 people a year. Only a few grains can cause someone to drop dead. People may think they're using cocaine, methamphetamine, pills of Xanax or Percocet, and not know they're exposed to a lethal drug. If you're around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one. No questions asked. That's why I am offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit us on hightruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, challenge yourself with a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Get ready for another inspiring conversation. Today, we will be talking about prevention, one of the pillars of our national drug control strategy. We'll be talking about how to talk about prevention to our youth. But first, let me diverge. I may be the first person in our country to state it, but our opioid prescription crisis is over. The problem started in 1990 with a push on the medical community to prescribe. I was part of that problem, giving people 20, 25 pills of hydrocodone or Percocet after a minor injury and when patients made a fuss about getting opioids. But today, January 2021, we do not have a crisis in prescription opioids. The number of prescription opioids given are at a record low, and the number of deaths from prescription opioids that exclude illicit fentanyl are also at a record low. Don't misunderstand. Our national drug problem is far from over. In fact, it's worse than it's ever been before. The pandemic year of 2020 will record the highest number of drug overdoses to date. But deaths from opioid prescriptions 
that do not include the illegal fentanyl, the drugs that come from a doctor's office are way down. What happened over the 20 years from start to finish of the prescription opioid epidemic? Learning the lessons here give a guide for tackling future drug problems. The problem started with a push on the medical community to prescribe opioids under the false advertisement that opioids were safe and not addicting. The end of the problem came with both a front-end and back-end solution. The back-end solution is treatment. Treatment for drug addiction and safe management of people with chronic pain. There have been a lot of innovations in treatment. The front-end solution is prevention. My theory that brought me to the job at the White House as chief medical officer was the theory that if we stop a new generation of Americans from becoming addicted, we would end the epidemic. I believe this theory has been proven correct. A heavy emphasis on prevention efforts in the prescription opioid problem has ended this problem. This is not to take away from the importance of various forms of treatment of opiate use disorder. Treatment is critical. I compare treatment to the blood transfusion that keeps a trauma patient alive. But if you want to end a problem, you must have prevention. Otherwise, the bleeding just continues. With that introduction, I'm so excited to share this week's High Truths conversation. Let's hear our question of the day from a very special guest, Desmond DeBose, a high school senior. My name is Desmond DeBose. I'm a senior from CCA. Many kids in high school and most college kids have tried marijuana. How dangerous can it really be? Isn't it all just scare tactics? Isn't it all uh, safer than alcohol? Thank you to Desmond, a high school student from San Diego, who has a very intelligent question. And to answer this question, it didn't take me long to find the perfect expert for you to answer this question. I have for you a prevention specialist, a motivational speaker, and an expert on youth marijuana and vaping. He works for the Center Community Research, a generous supporter of this podcast. Welcome, Joe. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Dr. Love. Such a great topic, too. And I do have to show off a little bit about Joe. Joe has written the marijuana report card for San Diego. And this report card showed an increase of 830% of uh, emergency department visits in a 10-year span. And when I got to ONDCP at the White House, I got access to amazing people, the rock stars of, of medicine. And I had a nice meeting with Dr. Nora Wolkoff, who is the director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse, and I showed her Joe's data. And she was very interested. She was taking notes on things. And then she shared that with the Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams. And the next thing, Joe's data is being used to testify in front of Congress about marijuana. So, Joe, you know, you're sitting there in your little office in front of the computer thinking, you know, what am I doing? And then it goes and it changes a nation's policy. So really, thank you so much for that. Wow, that is amazing. And and I couldn't do it without collaborations with you and without the CCR team, the Center for Community Research that I work for. We have a great evaluation team and they really put a lot of great information into that report. So I'm glad we had an impact. You did. And so let's answer Desmond's question. He's a high school student. He wonders, 
why do high school kids and most college kids, and it seems like everybody's trying marijuana, what's the big deal? Is it scare tactics? Is it dangerous? Um, how do you answer that? It's a very good, good question that a lot of our young people and, you know, everyone's kind of wondering about. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things is that perception that everyone's using. I mean, when, when we really look at the numbers, not everyone is using chronically. So when I go and I speak to kids, I always let them know they're not an oddball if they're not using chronically. So it's, it's really about 15% of the U.S. population uses marijuana, you know, on a regular basis. Um, but I think a lot of factors play into substance use that we're learning now, and that is your genetics. That is if you're raised in a family that's using substances. Um, so I think it's really an individual question as to, you know, uh, what are going to be the impacts on me? from the substances that I'm using. Um, I can tell you though that marijuana has changed significantly. Uh, and I think that parents really should be better informed um, about the risks because we're learning a lot more about the risks as well, especially uh, for, from adults and juvenile use. And the Surgeon General says that. He says this is not your, you know, your grandpa's marijuana. This is a whole different substance that people are using today. Um, we know that it used to be 3% in the 70s when the hippies were using marijuana. And now it's a genetically modified plant, a whole different animal. Yeah, if you took a, if you took a naturally growing marijuana plant in the woods and introduced it to one of its cousins in the laboratory, they wouldn't even be speaking the same language. Um, so now that we have these processes for extracting THC using butane, I mean, the uh, resins now can be potent, uh, as potent as 99%. Uh, the weed in my day was maybe 5 to 10%. It's nothing like what the kids are exposed to. And now they have vaping devices and other modes that deliver an even higher potency um, into their metabolism. And that really explains what I see clinically in the emergency department. When I was a medical student and even during my residency, I didn't see anybody. Nobody came to the hospital for marijuana poisoning. I mean, that was unheard of. And now every single day, every single emergency department probably across the country sees uh, marijuana poisoning. And that's because it's, it's a different chemical. It's a different plant. Um, but so it's, it's hard. I like what you had to say about not everybody is using marijuana. And that was Desmond's question. He goes, hey, everybody's using it. And, and you had the numbers just right because I have them in front of me. According to the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, in 2019, there were 48.2 million people who have tried marijuana at some point in the past year. And that's 14.6 of the population. Most people have not used it. So that's, that's, that's important to let people know because everybody thinks that everybody has done it and, and that's, it's, it's not true. Um, and for kids, it's very, it's more of an issue, right? And that's because of the, the growing brain. How do you address that when you talk to, to youth? Well, I, I do speak to a lot of youth and I think that um, one of the big things I do, I think differently is I, I try to use facts and not scare tactics. Um, and I try to use the latest data. 
Um, and I try to come off as non-polarizing. You know, um, a, a lot has been done. Policies have been passed around marijuana. I just try to stick to the facts and public health. So uh, when I am talking to young people, uh, I do want to make it clear that adolescent use is different because their brains are still developing. And this is a really crucial time to stay away from the cannabinoids in marijuana because they interfere with our own endocannabinoid system during this crucial time. And that can actually hinder normal, healthy brain development. And that's the best way I can describe it without breaking out the MRIs, you know, and start showing you the actual brain structure changes. So if I was a parent, I would definitely say, hey, your use is different than mine. So if you could at least hold off until 26 or 27, you know, before you start chronically using, then that's probably the best thing to do. Let that brain develop uh, from, a, from a healthy standpoint. Leave it alone. So I did, with your inspiration, Joe, I did a um, webinar on the growing brain that was published by um, PTTC. It'll be on our website. And the point is that, you know, anything that's growing is very, very vulnerable to effects. It's a wonderful thing that when your brain is growing, you can, you're a sponge, you could learn so many things in high school and, and college, but your brain doesn't finish growing till your 25, mid twenties, yeah. um, 27. And that means that before your brain is finished growing, you're more susceptible to addiction, four to seven times more likely to be addicted to anything, tobacco, alcohol, or any type of drugs than someone who starts using at my, my age. So we got to protect, protect those, those brains. And, and are kids responsive to that message? I, I think for the most part, they are. I mean, you know, you're dealing with a lot of kids who have a very short attention span with their phone use and all of the media being bombarded with all the time. So I do think it is very helpful to get into the class. I mean, with COVID-19 now, I've had to do a lot of the prevention work, you know, via Zoom, but I think I connect more on a personal level. And then we have those sidebar conversations and I can offer treatment. Um, so I think, I think the message is resonating. I just wish that doctors talked more about this during a physical and also that parents, even if parents use, they would still have a conversation about this with their kids. So you bring up a couple really interesting points. You're asking for prevention assistance from the medical community and from parents. Um, from the medical community, for pediatricians, there's a concept called anticipatory guidelines. And that's hey, wear a helmet when you're riding a bicycle or when your children are learning to crawl, put away all the supplies and chemicals. It, one thing that we really need is when kids are in middle school, that's when the conversation is really important. Um, and prevention work is critical. They say that for every dollar we spend on prevention, we're saving $17 down the road. And, and you know, it's a lot easier to get people not to use than to try to find therapy and treatment uh, chronically. So that work is so important. Um, a lot of parents may have used drugs when they were young. How do they say that to their kids? Like, do you use drugs? Oh, yeah, I used pot all the time back when I was young. What kind of message would a kid get from hearing that from their mom or dad? 
You know, I'm going to tell you personally, you know, I have addiction in my family. Even worse than that is watching somebody with addiction doing that in front of the kids. So I think it's important if you're going to have that conversation. I think I think honesty is the best policy. I know there's a lot of differing views on this, but I think having an open dialogue between parents and kids that they can talk about anything. But don't be a hypocrite and start talking about smoking cessation and then you're lighting up two packs a day in front of the child. You know, don't be drinking a half a pint of vodka in front of the child and tell them the dangers of drinking, you know. So I, I think you, you have to model what you're saying. Your actions speak louder than your words. But I, I think parents are also apprehensive in talking to their kids because they don't really know the new science. They don't know that the brain continues to develop until 25. I mean, most people are trying to make uh, ends meet, you know, paycheck to paycheck. They're not reading the science. So I think that's where prevention needs to come in and do a better job of delivering the prevention message uh, in a way that can resonate with the parent to the child. Um, and prevention got a bad rap, Dr. Lev. You know, everybody thinks prevention is just say no. And since that didn't seem to work, then they throw it out and say, well, no prevention works. There's a way to do prevention without catchy phrases using just public health information, uh, you know, and, and and having it in a curriculum for schools well, as well. We we did it with tobacco. Yeah. It took a long time, right? It took, you know, a hundred years, 7,000 publications for us to get the message out with tobacco. And that was a prevention um, success story where everybody, all parts of society were involved with that. But we were not replicating that model now um, yeah. with, with other drugs. Um, you know, if parents are using, you're right to say, okay, um, you know, don't be a hypocrite and use, but but that parent has an addiction too. Yeah. And, and the way to be honest is say, you know, I, I'm smoking, but it's hurting my lungs. I'm spending a lot of money on it. Yeah. It makes my smell, my clothes smell bad. It probably makes your clothes smell bad because you're around me and, and, and I wish I could quit. I need help. And the same thing for alcohol or other drugs. It's like, I have this horrible problem. Learn from my, you could learn from negative lessons. Yeah. We say that in medicine all the time. You learn from other people's F-ups in medicine and, and all sorts of things. And you could do that as, as, as a parent. Like, I'm, this, is, this is bad. I need help. Um, I'm working on it. And, and please learn from this negative example. What about, you said, we're now in a pandemic and, and with COVID, is, are things worse and harder as far as prevention work? Um, I think they've definitely gotten more challenging because prevention, there's so much interaction between people um, and, you know, community engagement. I think we're, you know, trying to use Zoom, but there's nothing that really can substitute that human interaction. But I do think some of the policies, and I've spoken about this, that we've passed in the state um, kind of send the wrong message to our kids about alcohol and marijuana use. I mean, declaring marijuana an essential business during the pandemic is bizarre. It's terrible. How could that Making, be essential? It just got me more business in the emergency room. I know. And, and declaring a smokable drug 
a, a essential during a respiratory pandemic. I, I just want to know who was consulted from the medical community to, to do such a bizarre thing. And then you shut down all of the normal coping skills that people had, the gym, the, the yoga studios, the beaches, and you just left the liquor stores and the marijuana stores open. Well, COVID public health policy is definitely a hot topic. I can't pretend to know all the answers, but uh, here's an important uh, data point from CDC that they reported a three to four fold increase in people reporting symptoms of anxiety or depression during the pandemic compared to the previous year. And in the same study, they reported a 13.3% increase of Americans who were starting to use drugs for the very first time. So it's interesting that what I feel is happening in the front lines of the emergency department is verified in data from the CDC that there are more people now using drugs and more people now feeling anxiety and depression. And uh, it's kind of like what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic in the emergency departments where we had our COVID uh, cabanas up ready for an onslaught of patients that didn't come, but who did come were people who were on drugs and alcohol and having mental health crisis. And, and unfortunately, they're still there. And that's why it makes the work that you do, Joe, and your colleagues in prevention so much more important. And those public health policies that you're trying to advocate for are really critical. Um, any advice you have uh, with dealing with COVID and, and drugs? You know, I, I think um, the, the big point to raise with chronic marijuana use is that there's a, a big concern about mental health issues and chronic marijuana users. And there is a big correlation that's becoming more evident between um, chronic marijuana use and the development of psychosis. And when I hear somebody who's using marijuana to cope with mental health issues, I cringe because I am just thinking that this might be exacerbating their depression, anxiety, the psychosis. And yet they think the very thing that is treating them is making it 10 times worse. Um, and I know you see that in the emergency room. We've spoken about how many mental health ER visits there are on an average weekend, probably far outpace any kind of uh, accident or broken leg. It's terrible. It's one of those studies we really need to do. I have a sense when I talk to our psychiatrist, I said, you know, out of everybody who's admitted to the behavioral health unit, how many are positive for drugs or marijuana? And they estimate 80%. Wow. Um, in our county, it's it's really crazy that that link with mental health and drugs and marijuana and psychosis is definitely there. That data has been published, but to quantify it of, of what's happening now is is something that w it would be important for us us to do. Joe, it's primary important of kids never to start drugs, but if their parents want to know, are my kids using drug? What are some tips that we could look for to um, that parents could see or wonder about? Uh, red flags in that your their kids may be using drugs? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and again, I get asked that one quite a bit. Um, and first, I want people to, to be aware that marijuana is addictive. THC is addictive. And there is treatment available. There's Marijuana Anonymous. There are groups out there that you can connect with. And that asking for help when it comes to Marijuana addiction is not laughable. It's a real thing. It's a real problem. 
But from a parent's standpoint, I think definitely is finding any kind of paraphernalia or vaping devices around, any kind of change in friends. Uh, I notice too, when I talk to some parents, they'll say, you know, my son or daughter used to do really well in school and within about a month, the grades dropped. Um, they're not really interested in the activities they used to or their sleeping patterns have changed drastically. They just kind of seem lethargic. They don't seem uh, motivated by the things that used to motivate them. And I'm really concerned. You know, a lot of kids are might have underlying mental health issues and they are trying to find a remedy and unfortunately, everybody paints marijuana as some kind of a magic medicine that can cure everything. So, you know, and I know you have a problem with that whole term uh, medical marijuana. So, um, you know. You're right. And I'll, I'll just uh, share with our audience that, that I feel like the marijuana industry has hijacked the word medical and to be called something medical um, not just having to go to medical school, but I can't give you a prescription for amoxicillin without checking a history, a physical exam, vital signs, drug interactions. Amoxicillin isn't for everybody. There's risk and benefits to everything. A medication is, there's a fine line of a medicine being a drug or a poison. And yet um, it really reminds me of at the beginning of the opioid epidemic and pill mills where, oh yeah, everybody needs opioids. Just uh, tell me what your problem is. And it's, and right, who gets denied a, a marijuana card? Everybody, it doesn't matter. And, and Dr. Lev, can I ask you, would you ever recommend somebody smoke their medicine? <laughs> you know, it sounds like a very interesting question, but it's more complicated than that. There are studies of using inhaled insulin for diabetic patients. So they've created this devices and a lot of, of technology and engineering has been made to inhaling um, your insulin. Wouldn't that be better than it, getting a shot every day? But they found out that in order to allow, to safely allow inhaled insulin, you have to do pulmonary studies and make sure that your lung is capable to do that. And the risk benefit did not pan out for inhaled insulin for diabetes. So how could it be good um, for, for marijuana? And we know that marijuana is not just THC. It's a compound with 500 different chemicals, including carcinogens, and it may be even worse than tobacco um, to the lungs. So yeah, good point there, Joe. You are a motivational speaker. You speak to big audiences. I, I want to share an experience I had when I talked to a, a, a group in Baltimore. I was invited to speak about marijuana to an audience of rabbis, parents, and kids. So that was a broad audience, and I shared front stories, and I shared frontline stories from the emergency department, and I had slides and pictures. And as I was talking, I saw this one little girl just cringing in her seat, and I'm thinking, oh my God, this girl's going to have nightmares. <laughs> I like, what am I doing to this poor little girl? And I wish she wasn't in the audience. And at the same time, I had kids come with their parents afterwards telling me, you know, you didn't say anything that tells me why that wouldn't happen to me. You need to prove that I can get psychosis. I, you need, you know, you didn't, you gave me a bunch of facts and maybe statistics, but you didn't say that that applied to me. So I really had both of that spectrum and it was hard to strike 
a balance with, you know, rabbis, parents, kids, and even little kids. How, how are you able to um, cover such a broad set of an audience when you go out and speak? Well, I, I, that's, a, that's a great point because I think everybody has their own style. And I am not embarrassed to share my own uh, history of addiction or alcoholism. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Um, you know, uh, my dad was an alcoholic. And I think, I think it's about relating to people in a human sense, but also being able to deliver the data and the public health message in a non-polarizing way. And, and that's pretty tough. And in regards to a 13-year-old, let's say, when I first started this job, I went and I did a presentation at a middle school and, you know, I thought I was talking to, you know, very young kids and I was literally schooled about marijuana from a 13 year old. She knew more about marijuana. And I said, what did she know that you didn't know? Oh, she knew about the THC amounts and the CBD and all of the other cannabinoids. And uh, if you do an indica and sativa strain and all of this, and I was about six months into the job. So I didn't know that much, you know. And I said, from that point on, I am going to learn everything there is to know about marijuana. And just because somebody looks very young and naive that some really are up to speed on what's happening, especially with the phone. Everybody's got a phone. They can Google anything. Google I, I, made us all smarter. Yeah. it's Well, you know, that's also to leave some uh, <laughs> something to be desired. But, you know, I think it's. It's important to know what you're talking about, know your audience, tailor your message for that specific audience. And you can use a little bit of humor. You don't have to be Debbie Downer on everything. You know, you can actually leave the people with a smile on their face, you know, and, and not crying in despair. Let's go back to Desmond's question. And he asked, you know, uh, it seems like everybody has tried marijuana and we, we have the data to show that that's not true, not even close to being true um, with less than 15%. And how dangerous can it be? So how dangerous can it be? You know, I was just looking at the suicide rates in Colorado among young males and the suicide rates right around the time of recreational marijuana use there started skyrocketing. And you won't find this in the news. The news doesn't talk about this. There is a huge link between THC and even CBD and suicidality. Um, and I don't think, unfortunately, that anybody's picking up on that. I know we're talking about it from a national perspective. Um, I think the uh, link between marijuana and mental health issues and even like using it for PTSD when in fact it can exacerbate symptoms of PTSD and you can go to the Veterans Affairs website and see their statement on it. So many different societies have come out to say, you probably shouldn't be using this because it can either not help or interfere with existing medications you're on or make the situation worse. And you're right. There's a lot of medical societies who have given very important position statements um, uh, warning the public about the use. Um, and we will have on this show, Dr. Christine Miller, who is an expert on the Association of Marijuana and Psychosis. So uh, we'll be hearing from her as well. 
Um, so and it's interesting what you say on the medical examiner and, and uh, suicide. We will have Dr. Capman, who's a medical examiner on this show, and he will um, tell us exactly what he is seeing on the morgue and answer whether, you know, can people just die? But people always say, well, nobody smokes. You can't die from just a cigarette or, or just from uh, marijuana, and, and it's just marijuana, and people give it a pass. So we're going to learn a lot about that. Joe, how can people contact you and what projects are you working on that people may be interested in? So we have a great website you can visit and I usually post upcoming events under the news blog. Uh, That website is ccrconsulting.org and it's forward slash MPI, M as in Mary, P as in Paul, I as in introduction. Um, And you can see uh, all of our collaborations with youth. Um, I think until probably 2021, we're going to be doing mostly virtual meetings. um, And I will be posting those. I usually do them in collaboration with Friday Night Live and some of our regional uh, youth groups. So I'll post those there. So contact, you can reach Joe at uh, CCR, and CCR is one of the sponsors of High Truths Podcast, and that is on our website as well. So um, if you go to Marijuana Prevention Initiative under the CCR logo on our website, you can reach and ask questions for Joe. Joe, thank you so much for the work you do in, in prevention. You're our hero. The work you do in our community and for our youth is so critically important. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it was a pleasure. I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I want to thank you because you really step up to the plate. Uh, uh, you're in the community all the time. You never turn us down for any kind of event. So I appreciate the work that you do. Thank you, Joe. And we we both thank uh, Desmond Dubois, high school student in his senior year in uh, San Diego. Any special words, Joe, of encouragement you have for Desmond? Remember, you're not alone if you're not using. (laughs) It's not weird to not use. Way to go, Desmond. We're proud of you. You are not alone. There are a majority of people who are not using marijuana. And because of that, you're going to have a, a, we wish you a wonderful senior year and graduation and uh, proud of you. And thank you for reaching out to us today. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to CCR. Center for Community Research in San Diego, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. And PTTC, Prevention Technology Transfer Center, Pacific Southwest Region 9. PTTC develops tools and resources that engage the next generation of substance misuse prevention professionals. If you would like to sponsor a show, we would be honored and grateful. Please contact us on hightruths.com. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us five stars and subscribe so you won't miss any of our informed, packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev, and we hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths.